This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Hey, what's up, guys? We're going to welcome you to another special edition of the Mormon Expression Podcast. I'm going to be your uh, guest host, Tom, and today's podcast, we're going to try to do something a little bit different. We're going to be talking and discussing the topic of why the church discourages discussion over its doctrine. And so we want to kind of delve into that. We want to discuss why the church exactly discourages um, some of the things that uh, might be a little bit over its doctrine or a little bit more controversial. Tonight we're going to have two of our regular pan- panelists to debate this issue. Um, and taking the pro side, which might be a little bit fun to hear, is Niall. Niall. <laughs> Welcome, Niall. And then taking the critical side of things is going to be George. Hi, everybody. And I'm going to be doing my best to moderate this discussion, so... We're going to try to keep it a little bit structured. We'll we'll have uh, well, I'll give a little bit of time for each. Each will be given about a five to ten minute introduction. Then we'll have uh, if an optional re- rebuttal if they want, and then some Q and A, and then some conclusion. And we'll see how this goes. We're hoping that this this works fairly well. So. Let's uh, let's turn some time over to uh, let's begin with Nile. And we'll let him um, kind of give his his take and his perspective in his introduction. So take it away now. Thank you, Tom. Um, as I researched this uh, this subject, it it really occurred to me that this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of the church, and probably one of the most misrepresented criticisms. Um, essentially, this idea that doctrine is uh, not openly uh, discussed that there's no uh, honest discourse is is frankly untrue. Um, it's it's a it's a blatant misconception. This idea, this image of a static church, is not reflected in reality. Mormons do debate doctrine, and this is primarily how it progresses. There has always been an active and lively discourse within the body of the church. This. Um, this is evident throughout the recorded history of this dispensation and really all others. Um, this is evidenced in the Book of Mormon and throughout the New Testament. The conclusions of the theories, however, theories of new doctrine, old doctrine, they must, they must fit the evidences in the context of fulfilling the changing needs of its membership. I'm very distressed, but critics will unfairly portray an unchanging doctrine that will make it easier for them to attack to attack an obsolete straw man. In point of fact, this is the usual method of critics that attack well-established fact. Consider the current state of creationism and intelligent design. They can't 
directly attack logically irrefutable evidence of evolution. So they have to create something that is false. Let me turn my attention to the body of the church. And when I talk about that, I'm talking about all the areas that uh, doctrine is proposed, developed, and accepted or rejected. I consider this area sort of spheres of discourse. Um, the first place where critics will assume the church should be, cons- should be talking about doctrine is Sunday school. Sunday school, or the church proper, is not the appropriate place to discuss these nuances of complex things. This is a place to recharge spiritual batteries, not to engage in, you know, uh, possibly competitive discourse. Church and Sunday school should be thought of as the equivalent of high school science classes, which is, which are really not the places to explore new technologies. Uh, where t- new ideas are explored is what the CES is for. Scholars at all the campuses of BYU, institutes in uh, uh, places of higher learning, and countless other places are set aside for discussion. There are also safe and critically controlled spaces online. Now let's take a step back. What kind of discourse is occurring in these spheres of discourse? Um, Essentially, it's the science of theology. Theology is about taking the primary sources, the primary sources, and using our brains to deduce their implications. The Lord expects us to do our due diligence and work out what we can. This is done by a rigorous process based on certain guidelines. Thus, because it's mainly... because humans are uh, proposing ideas and using their own uh, process of opinion and deduction, we are left with an imperfect science of theory, trial and error, and a process which really is nothing, un- which is not unlike the scientific method. Now let me explore what I'm talking about when I, when I refer to something as evidence. Evidence is specific canonized revelations that provide the basic meat of, the, of, ev- of facts. This information comes to us almost unfiltered as a primary source to the mouthpiece of the Lord. These bits and pieces of information are relatively infrequent as the Lord understands that his children need to learn to think for themselves. Now, secondly, the the theories and extrapolations that we take from this evidence are what we call doctrine. They are usually accomplished by prayer and discussion and from the evidence... Which, are, which is peer-reviewed by qualified people, in other words, ones who have access to further primary sources, you have, you, have to, you have to understand that the doctrine will occasionally have checks on people who have a greater insight to the primary sources. Since, mit, since much of the doctrinal stage is based on the imperfect opinions and paradigms of human, some errors may creep in. Further revelation and peer review by the brethren is required an effective correction. New doctrine is only accepted after a consensus is reached and approved by the general membership. This may take some time, giving an illusion, let me stress that, an illusion of a sluggish church. This is untrue, however, as most scientists can attest. Any scientific theory must go through the rigors of a scientific vetting process, and this also takes time. 
obsolete doctrine is allowed to expire. And it never needs to be directly refuted. Uh, Lacks in the priesthood, polygamy, um, various aspects that may seem troubling to later generations are actually perfectly attestable. Um, the scientific method does not directly refute old, old theses either, but rather allows them to lose favor. Only years later can uh, these uh, theses seem to be strange or silly. Um, you can see examples of this as uh, evolution replaces creationism in the scientific discourse. Uh, the observer has the benefits of time between him and the thesis. Doctrine functions in a similar fashion. There is absolutely such a thing as an absolute obsolete doctrine which in no way contradicts current truth. Let me talk a little bit more about the corrections to doctrine because this is another area that critics unfairly uh, characterize the church. Um, the church might need to correct doctrine that does not meet this standard that I just talked about or that has been shown to be inaccurate through further light and knowledge. So, for an example, if a theory, a thesis, is shown to be untrue and can be proved to be untrue, it has to be corrected. How is this accomplished? The church does this by gently showing the errors, encouraging further debate, and so forth. It is only in extreme cases where scholars refuse to see reason that they must be removed from the conversation. Think of it as a purely social phenomenon similar to a, a wayward scientist who, who holds a disproven theory. It is not about censorship, or even an, as an attempt to direct the conversation, but should rather be viewed as an attempt to clarify the accuracy of available source materials for the other theologians. You cannot let a crackpot poison the, uh, the shared information of everybody trying to come to the truth. Um, such removals is very rare. And over over the last several decades, there's been something like a dozen intellectuals who refused to see, to see the light and refused to see that their method was flawed, and they were removed from the conversation. This, I have to note, is a better rate than most universities and other academic forums. This process, which I describe, which to sum up, the spheres of discourse, the theology, which is based on primary sources and the doctrine is extrapolated from the evidence, which allows for obsolete doctrines to expire and corrections to doctrine to, corrections to doctrine to proceed, has been the standard of the church for the entirety of its history. And that's the end of my introduction. Nice. All right. Uh... Let's let's turn it over to George. I am not going to do um, justice to the excellent uh, apologetic method that Niall just used of uh, dazzle them with the BS if you can't uh, reason with their intellect. So um, I'm going to go a, a little bit more of a, of a casual tone and uh, not so much the rhetoric. Um, so I'm going to do some quotes um, from the Gospel Essentials book. And really what I want to do is work from the chapter of honesty. And there's a, there's a few quotes in here that I really like. And I'm going to start with just a simple commandment that comes out of Exodus that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Um, that was taught 
at the time uh, the Lord gave that to the children of Israel. Um, Christ taught it when he was on the earth in Matthew. Um, and we're, we learn from the Gospel Essentials um, manual that there are many forms of lying and untruths. Um, I want to just read a quote that says, We can um, intentionally deceive others by a gesture, a look, by silence, or by telling only part of the truth. Whenever we lead people in any way to believe something that is not true, we are not being honest. And I want to, to remind and have us think about what it means to be honest as we talk about this discussion today. Um, and my intention is to show and to provide examples during the course of the discussion um, that will indicate that this comes down to a simple case of following Christ's admonition to be honest um, and make sure that we are not doing anything to lead the people in any way to believe something that's not true. And I want to just uh, quickly um, bring up some examples of, of how we can know if the church is covering up or holding or withholding the full story at some point. Um, the apostles themselves have admitted and admonished to not teach the full version of church history. We can see very many examples of this. Um, there's a famous quote by uh, Elder Packer, um, the, the reasoning for this is this milk-before-meat mentality. Um, the diet of church history is never transitioned to meat. Um, Niall indicated that oftentimes we have opportunities to learn meat in areas like CES and at BYU, and um, I can uh, give examples of where I would dispute um, that concept. So members are left forever um, to subside on the milk of church doctrine. Church educators for seminary and institute often take it upon themselves to learn the meat, but they're never, they, when they attempt to share this meat with eager students, they're sometimes disciplined, threatened, and as Niall indicated earlier, they can be fired and terminated from employment with either the educational system or um, CES educational system. So while the upper management of the church preaches, preaches honesty, they themselves are failing to be honest themselves under the very definition of the term. Going back to the Church uh, Gospel Principles book, there's another quote in there that says, We can also intentionally deceive others by a gesture or a look, by silence, or only telling part of the truth. And essentially what is taught in seminary, institute, primary, Sunday school gospel doctrine classes around the globe in all areas of the world, is severely biased, watered down, and often modified version of real events. I have a quote I want to read from um, an ex-LDS historian, Michael Quinn. He says, It is my conviction that God desires everyone to enjoy freedom of inquiry and expression without fear, obstruction, or intimidation. I find it one of the fundamental ironies of modern Mormonism that the general authorities who praise free agency also do their best to limit free agency's prerequisites, access to information, uninhabited, uninhibited inquiry, and freedom of expression. Indeed, if we look at some of the other quotes even um, further back in the church history, we find that many of the early church leaders um, actually encouraged debate um, 
with doctrines and policies that would come out. Um, President Joseph uh, F. Smith talked one time, and he says, We talk of obedience, but do we require any man or woman to ignorantly obey the counsels that are given? Do the first presidency require it? No, never. Joseph Fielding Smith said, You cannot accept the books written by the authorities of the church as standards of doctrine, only in so far that they are in accord with the revealed work in the standard works. Every man who writes is responsible, not the church, for what he writes. If Joseph Fielding Smith writes something which is out of harmony with the revelations, then every member of the church is duty-bound to reject it. If he writes that which is in perfect harmony with the revealed word of the Lord, then it should be accepted. I uh, want to uh, just respond very quickly to something that Niall brought up about the, um, in the CES program and within the, um, the BYU program and speak from terms of a um, self-experience in both of these areas. I have taught within the CES system for the past five years, and my um, I have one of my children is um, attending BYU in Provo. And I need to, to emphasize that in both those programs, it is a strictly a milk only. There is no opportunities ever within those programs, and we are discouraged um, from getting into anything that would be um, considered meat or deeper topics. It's it's light. It's the correlated material only. Um, that's uh, what I have to go with it to start off with, and I think we can move in more into discussion mode now. All right, very nice. I appreciate that. All right, Niall, you, would you like to uh, give kind of a quick rebuttal? or? Yes, I think I would. All right. I have to ask a few clarifying clarifying questions here. Did, uh, you, you basically implied that the church uh, does not allow for a meat approach and that it actually openly discourages any critical look at the meat approach. However, how do you account for the vast amount of in-church material written unofficially, but still within the sphere of discourse. How do you account for that if it's being, uh, you know, censored? Could you give an example or two? Rough, rough stone rolling. Okay. So, um, excellent example, and I would I would tend to agree um, that that has been a um, new element that has come into the church within the last um, five years that seems, seems to have a sense of, op- of openness um, and uh, seems to go the right direction. Let me give you an ex- experience that I've had um, from, again, going back to just a personal anecdote um, of carrying that book with me in various church and um, uh, areas of the, the church where I would expect it to be widely accepted. So since I've, I've started reading that book, I, I generally will carry it with me on Sundays and read it during a couple of my meetings. And invariably, if people see me reading it, they look with disdain and they say, oh, you're reading one of those books. So the general populace, and I would say that I have only met um, one or two people wandering the halls and wandering around even in Temple Square that understand that uh, um, El- Brother Bushman is a, a stalwart member of the church, that he has written a, a book that um, predominantly 
um, shows a g- good light on many of the things that are in there, and the p- major population seems to um, just say that it's it's potentially an anti LDS um, look at Joseph Smith's life. Follow up question. Sure. Um, given what I've described as this giant sphere of discourse, of which Sunday school is a very tiny part, and the people you meet there are there for a very specific reason, which is not to discuss these sort of things, but to recharge their spiritual batteries. Given this, is it fair for you to impute this particular attitude you encountered to the entirety of the sphere? Good clarifying question. Um, There are opportunities, I believe, for the... um, for members of the church who want to fill their their vacuum of intellectual discourse and deeper doctrines i think there are opportunities online and occasionally um, at some conferences such as fair and anything that farms puts on that would allow them to do that however in the um, outer stakes in any any um, church member who is outside of the Wasatch Front, I don't believe those types of opportunities exist anywhere in the church today. There's nothing within a ward program, stake program, or regional program that would allow for um, face-to-face discourse um, to learn more than the, just the, the correlated material. First, first of all, you, you just conceded the point that the church does not discourage or censor open intellectual debate of the doctrine. Secondly, you you, con- you slightly conceded before that these areas are not the place for this intellectual debate. So why would you expect to go to the desert and expect to find water? That's not the part of the sphere where you're going to find this. Why are you expecting it to be there? Those members of the church who are looking and exploring will be censored in their questions until they find these avenues that they can look for. If but the they, avenues exist? The avenues don't exist and aren't published and aren't, aren't made available to the general public. It's, it's only through um, pretty involved research to try and find out where some of these things are. If an, hang on, if hang a on. Mem- if, if let, me, a let me finish. Has, let me fin- let me finish really quick. If a member has a question in general, and they take it to, um, let's say, about some of the deeper doctrines, they want to know about the ins and outs of polygamy in the celestial kingdom. They want to know um, the details of uh, the blacks um, getting the priesthood, or they want to know the details of um, the Book of Abraham. Um, Issues. If they go to um, most bishops, they will not be given any type of a methodology or a means by which they can they can do things. They will be turned back just to the basics of please pray about this, read the Book of Mormon more, um, go to the temple. Um, most bishops are not given. Inst- all bishops are. There's no instruction ever provided bishops um, to send members to. Uh, places like FAIR, um, the FAIR wiki, anything like that. They are told only to pray, uh, attend the temple, and to read their scriptures. So there's this, no formal program to, to send people when they have questions to, to any place where they can get to theological help. This seems to contradict uh, the sort of narratives that I've heard of people who eventually leave the church. 
that the first thing that they get after the stock answers of the level is they get an article from FAIR. They get an article from Farms. They get directed to the ward sort of apologist. And then from there they spring out into the internet or further into uh, other discussion areas of the sphere. And they're not, they're not censored for that. They're not excommunicated for that. Uh, is this, is this totally against what you're thinking? If a bishop or stake president gets in touch with a, with a member of the church who's having questions and um, wonders about things in church doctrine. A lot of times, you are right, they will be sent an article from um, the farms or from fair. However, a lot of times, what this does in the mind of the member is adds more confusion because the apologetic techniques that are used um, tend to build straw mans. They tend to um, attack the authors of documents rather than going directly at the issues, or oftentimes they will ask the um, member to just believe them because they are um, ex- more expertise, have more expertise and more um, willingness to understand this than the average member, and so they should just go ahead and answer that. So the apologetics um, actually ends up causing a lot of damage that I don't think they intend to do, but they need to somehow, um, if they're going to convince more people that what they're doing is the right thing, they need to speak on terms that the general member is going to understand, which they can't. It fails. They, they do not have solid answers for some of these things because over time it has changed and a lot of their arguments disappear over time and so they have to invent new ones. All right. Let, let's, okay. let's. I, I have to, I have to read about that. Can I do right. that one time? Okay. Make, make one point. Okay. The question is not how effective farms or fair is in their answers. The question is whether or not the church censors or discourages that. And it seems to me the most you're able to argue for is an inefficient crossover from the one section of the sphere to a more advanced section of the sphere. And that's a quality that's almost universally common to large organizations. So basically, you're criticizing the church for being big. I would expect the church to not resort to big organization tactics. If there is truth and there is doctrine and there is revelation, they should not have to um, resort to a method that you described earlier that basically says that um, there's some errors that creep in. They have to go through a scientific process to prove these things out. Revelation is revelation. And revelation should not need to go through a scientific process. It should be revealed to a prophet, and then it, and then stays that way from then on. Um, this this idea of um, things that are untrue have been shown to be removed later on. Um, that's not how doctrine is corrected. Um, things that are come from God should stay that way um, through millennia. And All Christ, right. Christ's word is not changed. All right, let's 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 move to a little bit of a Q and A. I've got a few questions that that hopefully uh, you guys can can kind of give a little bit of perspective. So we've been talking about this uh, milk versus meat issue. Um, Niall, what do you think about that? Do you think that the uh, coming from a pro LDS approach, do you think that the church 
Um, it doesn't really talk about the meat, that it only encourages the milk, kind of like what George was talking about. Do you think that it's just a milk-only approach? It's really a question of where within the sphere you're going to go to. If if you're referring to Sunday school and a sacrament meeting, you're only going to find the milk because this is only a milk sort of area. If you're looking for the meat, you're going to have to go to places where the meat is discussed. And this would be in articles on farms and on fair and uh, in, in various other discussion fora. Now, this unfortunate, taken out of context, idea of holding the complex back in order to control is another unfortunate straw man um, unfairly created by the critics. It's it's something that exists in every uh, advanced study, and theology as an advanced study should not be expected to be exempt from this. You start with the simple basics. For example, you start with the simple basics of biology with cells. You talk about cellular walls, and then finally you move into mitochondria. And if you want to, this is this was what you could consider milk. You would expect to find this in, like I said before, in this high school science class section of the church's sphere. Yeah, I but if, if you want to get into the ATDP or however that goes, I'm not I'm not a biologist. You would go on to the university level and learn which amino acid this represents. Same thing with mathematics. Mathematics, you can see there's a clear progression, and there's also a clear space for the milk or in other words, simple or more basic primary, and the meek, which is, uh, you know, advanced, which is no less true, but it's more complex. The only place that you can really go in the church to discuss the meat topics is what you're saying is apologetics, like farm and fairs? No, apologetics is specifically directed towards uh, addressing specific questions. They're, they're points to theories. The, the meat is not the answer the meat, it's, apologetics is part of the meat. It is not the meat. It's just a part of it. There are also people who do not have crises of faith that discuss complex things of meat. For example, the Kolob theorem, where uh, the author places God at the center of a specific galaxy with, with varying concentric circles of uh, a glory. So, this, Niall, this, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Let's say in a given ward there was a member of the ward who came across that exact same, that exact concept. And Which wanted to, the one you just mentioned about this collab um, topic. Okay. And they wanted to, to explore that. And so what they did is they, they set up and they sent around to the ward distribution list an email and said, hey, on Thursday night over at my house, I am going to um, have a study group about um, collab and God's influence on the, on the planet collab. And it started with two or three people, and it, it grew to six or seven, and it grew to 15 or 20. Um, the stake president eventually found out about it because his wife was invited. Um, what, in your view, would be the stake president's response to this type of a study group that was starting up in his stake? I, I suppose it would, it would be a question of where he falls into the discussion. If, for his own purposes, his access to the evidence and, uh, and analysis seems to contradict that, he should enter the discussion and show that. If so you don't believe he would follow the um, church handbook of instruction, which very clearly discourages any in-home study groups of any church um, topics? I'm not aware of any kind of policy like that. I'd have to see the church handbook. 
And well, back in the 70s, the church used to encourage those types of things. But then the intellectual process came out. They had um, the, the issues that they had. And so all study groups and symposia-type um, areas was discouraged. And now um, the Sunstone Symposium is discouraged. Um, many members of the church who used to go and be part of that of that forum um, were discouraged and told no longer to attend. Um, and it came directly from um, church headquarters discouraging um, open and uh, smaller discussion groups going on just like that. And, and yet, the Kolob theorem is openly discussed by faithful members all over the church in many, many different places. It may or may not occur in somebody's house, but it is occurring somewhere. And the yeah. point is, is they're not being censored. Well, the Kolob theorem, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's being discussed. I was just but, using that was an example because you brought that one up. Right, but... The, but as that I example, that that is being discussed in certain other spaces. The, the space isn't as important... Where the space is is not quite as important as that there is a space within the sphere of discourse. I think I think one point that should be noted too is that I'm not exactly sure whether the church encourages apologetics. I'm sure I think it's more of an ambiguous thing that they approach it with. Or, you know, I oh, know. I, it, I disagree. The the apologetic thing has been brought directly within um, the BYU program. It is run out of BYU. And well, yeah, farms is yeah. I just are making my point. I think that, uh, but fair is is a different entity um, than farms, um, and I know that it's that that entity is kind of an ambiguous thing because they're a nonprofit organization, and and I don't know of too many bishops or state presidents to say, hey, go meet with this fair guy or read this fair material. Again, the location of the of the location of the area isn't as important as the area is provided. Right. Okay. But but Niall, just to go back to my original question, if there were um, topics that wanted to be discussed by a member of a stake, say in in uh, Ohio or something like that, is there a forum for them to talk about this with other members of the church face to face to talk about I, more meatier topics? I, I couldn't comment on that because I'm not in this situation, but I imagine there would be. There's examples of that all across the Internet. The, the Internet is generally a, a, sort of an echo or a reflection of, of discourses and uh, things that are happening in the real world. There, there may not be enough Mormons in the area with enough, with enough interest in it. You, you can't really use that as an excuse to call that censorship. See, I, my my take would be is that they would be actively discouraged to do so, and be told that they need to to focus on the basics of the gospel, and read their Book of Mormon and understand their Book of Mormon and their New Testament and pray and attend the temple. But and unfortunately, that's 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 sort of left open for speculation and opinion. No, I think well, there's there's many people who have tried it and been told exactly that. Anecdotal. And there are spaces for them to go do this online and in other places. Maybe not personally face-to-face because there's enough people in Ohio or wherever else they're doing it, but there is a place. Once again, it's not where the space that matters, it's that the space exists. It's not censoring this. And George, why is that such a bad thing to get, keep with the basics? You know, read your scriptures, pray, attend the temple. Why is that such a bad thing? Why, why is the meat necessary? 
because there are so many things that are not being discussed that are meatful that eventually the milk only member will run into and then all of a sudden they're shocked and amazed that something occurred which is more meat focused and there's no method for them to to do to find out the real story there's no um bishop led or stake led um, method or forum for them to to find. So what they're left to is going to Google and searching and finding all kinds of pro and anti material. The church is not engaged in those conversations officially at all, and so they're they're left to to just kind of wafe in the wind and. Yeah. I think the church is trying to get itself out there a little more in Google and YouTube and stuff like that. But, but I do want to, I do want to talk a little bit about Sunstone. I think because this topic kind of sort of revolves around why Sunstone even exists, right? Sunstone wouldn't probably exist if we weren't discussing this tonight. But, um, to George's, uh, point, um, the reason why I think w- the church has uh, discouraged Sunstone Symposia in the past is because, oh, I don't know, most of Sunstone is run by apostates. George, don't, don't you think that maybe that's part of their intention, the church, um, from discouraging Sunstone is because they were highly critical and there's run by a lot of apostates? I believe that's the case. That's the uh, the situation, and um, that they do see that that intellectual community is one that questions church leadership more than supports church leadership, and that's why they were. Um, dis- that's why the church has generally been cons- uh, discouraged from attending uh, the uh, the concepts and ideas that are presented in um, Sunstone magazines and the symposia. Um, definitely are on the fringe of what would be accepted as normal and faith-promoting. Um, they're they're uh, definitely not faith-promoting in all cases. So the church isn't necessarily, um, well, maybe depends on what you read, I guess, but I guess the church isn't necessarily discouraging all discussion of doctrine, maybe just dis- discouraging uh, sunstone, do you think? I would think that the church would discourage anything, any discussion that is not faith-promoting. I recently um, read a quote from um, somebody whose parents uh, served a mission calling in the historical department, and what their responsibility was to was to take missionary journals that were being sent to church offices um, for archival. And what their responsibility was is to go through these uh, missionary journals and remove anything that was discouraging or um, not promote, not um, totally in the church's favor. So all they did was store just the faith promoting and making the church look in a in a very um, positive light. That was their actually their role, and they were um, it was very clear. Okay, let, let me let me uh, let me ask you a question, Niall. Um, would an advanced gospel doctrine class, if the church had a advanced gospel doctrine class, do you think that that would help curb some of this uh, discussion? I I suppose if I suppose if people start going to church for the meat, then yes. Um, I think there's clearly some area of the church where uh, the effectiveness of crossing over from the milk to the meat could be ex- 
encouraged, but once again, this is true of any uh, organization, and to present this as evidence of uh, censorship, I think, is disingenuous. But yeah, I think an advanced gospel doctrine, perhaps even held on a different day of the week, would be something to really look at. Do you think there would be uh, a damage that would be done to maybe some of its members? You mentioned that if there were members that were that wanted to go for the meat for these more difficult subjects, do you think that there's a majority of the members that aren't interested in the meat and that that might be part of the reason? Well, it's the same sort of thing as those who are interested in basic biology versus those who are, adv- are interested in advanced biology. Those who are bored by it aren't going to go, and those who are interested will. And the ones that are interested will do well. I think that the struggle I would have is there are some cases in your example of advanced biology versus beginning biology is there rarely in that type of situation do the two contradict each other. And what I think that the church would run into is there are some situations where um, milk gospel doctrine would contradict and be corrected by advanced the advanced class. Well, it's, you it's can tough. find the same stuff in, in basic biology and advanced biology. When they first present the ideas to, say, a sixth grader, the simplistic notions, the first uh, survey classes of anything, is going to be uh, apparently contradicted by the advanced classes. You see this time and time again. But biology, they aren't going, no, that's not true. There's biology is biology, and they will develop on it. They will go into more detail, but they do not teach a um, an advanced class that's going to say, remember the stuff we learned in your, your beginning class? Well, all that was wrong. Let, let me tell you how it really works. That does not happen in the, in the scientific world. Except that it does. You know, you're taught in the basic uh, chemistry class, for example, that a particle can only exist in one state. However, in the advanced, they say, well, actually, that's not true. A particle can exist in more than one state. All right, let's move out of the science class back into religious class here for a second. <laughs> Beating this analogy to death. <laughs> I'm getting lost. Um, what are some of the topics exactly that we're talking about, some of these meat topics? Niall, why don't you tell us some of these topics that you that you think would be discouraged by the church? I don't, I don't feel the church has any interest in discouraging any of the meat topics. Do you think the church would be encouraging of, a, of an advanced topic on um, problematic um, history of the Book of Abraham? Uh, absolutely. If, it's, if it has nothing to fear from how the Book of Abraham is presented, it should absolutely encourage that. And I think Do it th- does. In what you know, way? Well... It, well, you know, in the initial phases, it seems like when a criticism is brought up, uh, there seems to be an, an apologetic response, starting with Hugh Nibley and going from there. But the point is that the conversation is, is happening. Thus, we have uh, uh, members who believe in a very different sort of form of what the Book of Abraham is without, and let me emphasize this, without being censored. You have somebody saying it's a, you know, it's a catalyst. It's a symbol, it's a this, it's a that. And they're not being censored. They're being encouraged. They're going to give callings. And I, and I would uh, support that type of a, of a move as long as it was being open and honest in what it was, disp- what it was telling. But I, what I, I worry about, and it goes back to my quotes that I, I talked about in the very beginning about the, the mentions of honesty within the Gospel Principles Manual. When it talks very clearly about leaving out 
areas um, and leaving out facts, it becomes a um, an issue of honesty. And it is my opinion that in many of these areas, the church chooses to purposely not bring up hard topics in its history in an, in an, an attempt to keep people at the milk area because if they brought up the meat topics, there would be very many people who would question the the leaders, the past leaders, the current leaders, and I think there would be a uh, lesser, uh, a greater likelihood that people would leave the leave the organization. All right, George. But what what about all the progress the church has made to um, correct some of its past history, just like the uh, the ban on the blacks and the priesthood in 1978 when they eliminated that um obviously opening up the the church history library and opening up to the public i mean what about all those those steps that the church has made to uh to make itself a little more open i think the uh it's they're putting their finger in the dike they are um there's some of these things that no matter what they do to keep these things down the society in general is moving Around them and taking, taking, making them make a choice. I think several of the changes the church has made that come out as doctrine, that they present as doctrine, are the result of lawsuits. They keep the lawsuit quiet. Um, it makes people feel uncomfortable. They received a, a lawsuit about this or that. And instead of just coming out and saying, hey, you know what, we had this issue. Um, in order to, to correct this, we're, we're going to um, make a change in our policy or in our doctrine. Instead, they say, oh, we just received a revelation that uh, such and such should change. Um, and I think they're responding reactively to some of these areas rather than getting proactively on the ball and um, coming up with some of these changes on their own. What would be a satisfactory solution in your mind then, George? Would an advanced gospel doctrine class, if it was held weekly or monthly, would that satisfy you? It would go an immense uh, way. I think the, the biggest thing the church has to fight with these days is the fact that the majority of the members do not know um, some of the, the hidden issues that are going on. And so when they get surprised by them, they find out about them through some other means, it shakes their faith. And the amount of people in the LDS church today that are having some sort of crisis of faith and either having a major dilemma to go through or just leaving or somehow working their way through it, uh, more and more people are going to have that. And the church is not doing their, their members any good by hiding behind a shield of revelatory power. But isn't it true that a lot of people that ha- that go through this crisis of faith were just looking for reasons to sin, anyways? That they were just kind of looking for for uh, for if, certain if, things in the church history. If you read the unsign, that's what you would uh, you would learn. If you read the unsigns and you and you listen to conference and and anything like that, there are only two reasons why people leave the church. Um, one is that um, they want to sin. The other one is that somebody has offended them. Totally left out of the conversation from church leadership is those people who research and learn and find meat-type topics that are completely within the teachings of the church – 
but they find these things out. They've never heard of them before, and they then um, are shocked, amazed. They can't believe that there's been this deceit wall that's been put up, and they go into what you what we've adequately uh, described now as a crisis of faith. And if the church encouraged dialogue, if they encouraged um, debate of some of these doctrines and they, they had a way to discuss these topics, I think more people would be accepting of the fact that there is a church that has some flaws and um, that doesn't have to be um, exactly right. But And the church would come out and say, hey, this happened. This is the way it was. We've made amends and we've moved on. What, what do you think about that, Niall? Well, I find this distressing. George seems to be fond of bringing up this gap between the milk and the meat, the crisis of faith. And I want to, and I want, first I want to reiterate that this is largely, um, you know, a bureaucratic thing. The church could put a bridge in, in there, and they probably eventually will. But especially, I've got to remind George that the onus is on the person. How many people right now are completely clueless about politics, about history, and about science? Why are they like that? Because they're too lazy. They're, they're too wrapped up in their own lives. If a member of the church can't even take the slightest bit of interest in their own eternal salvation, that they want to see the meat, why in the world should I feel sorry for them when they have a crisis of faith. I'm sorry, the onus has to be, at the end of the day, on the faithless member that will absolutely not take do their due diligence of seeing the world as it really is, based on the evidence, based on the doctrine, based on opinions of this person, on that person. They may get scared, they may not get scared, but they're going to be richer for the experience. And to blame that on a structure, on a man, on a man-guided structure like the church is absolutely a cop-out can i can, let me let me refute that just a little bit oh, all right I'm hang, gonna, hang, hang on a sec george hang on a sec okay. we'll, we need to start wrapping this up so i'm going to set your conclusion go you can go ahead and respond at the beginning but you wrap it up in about five minutes so go ahead and respond and go ahead and do your little conclusion at the end so if i am a republican and I want to follow and I want to listen to Republican things. I want to believe that um, our current presidency is evil and doing very terrible things. Um, I can listen to a 100% Republican message being being sent to me. The interesting thing is, is that the Republican and the GOP leadership does not stop me and does not discourage me from going out and finding information that I can learn that is either neutral, in, in other words, an independent um, political opinion, or a democratic um, opinion on a topic. There's no discouragement that happens in there at all, and I'm not discouraged or nor reprimanded nor sought, or looked um, down upon for looking at other points of view. And trying to expand my horizons into um, pro, um, uh, purely um, middle of the road and anti. 
where what I find in that's disturbing about in the church is unless it is faith promoting, published by some type of desert book publication and and written by a general authority, um, it's anti. Even if it's a um, a middle of the road, unopinionated, just um, very neutral look at some element of the church. You're frowned upon, and you're call, you could be uh, labeled as an apostate for just reading information that is not published by the church. And that's where I disagree with you um, in your in your analysis is that there is a sense of that in our religious organization. I want to end with a quote by um, Thomas Edison. It says, "For faith, as well intentioned as it may be, must be built on facts, not fiction." Faith in fiction is a damnable false hope. What what I want to make sure that we understand is that um, teaching a watered-down version of history is, in a very sense, teaching fiction. We, we spin it to the benefit of the organization at the expense of the individual. We end up um, doing dece- deception, lies, and cover-up, which are normally attributed to an evil organization. An organization that preaches one thing but does another is not an organization worthy of loyalty or trust. And I want to just go back and reemphasize um, from the Gospel Essentials book what is meant by honesty, where it says we can intentionally, also intentionally deceive others by a gesture or a look by silence, or only by telling part of the truth. Whenever we lead people in any way to believe something that is not true, we are not being honest. And that's what I would close with. All right. I appreciate that. All right. Niall, give him hell. All right. I have to, I have to echo the, this idea that it's a terrible thing to have faith in things that are not based in fact. Unfortunately, the straw man that is constantly being created by the critics is that the church discourages doctrine. And, well, I think I've shown time and time again that there are numerous spaces and numerous opportunities to discuss the meatiest of the meat doctrine. And and you have to remember that the milk areas are not the meat areas, but the meat areas are there. And if we're talking about whether or not the church discourages or censors or limits discussion of the doctrine, you have to explain away the spaces that exist. The the questioning member, the member who who encounters a crisis of faith, which is largely through his own uh, negligence, has a place to explore this. And the church does not censor him. He does not excommunicate him. And there was, there was, there was always means by which theology can progress. Remember, there's a sphere of discourse. The evidence are the specific, clearly canonized revelations of God to the prophets. And the doctrine is the extrapolations, oftentimes with error, of man placed upon that. Remember that it's always a discussion. It always progresses. Doctrine can and will become obsolete. A new doctrine can and will be developed. That is all I have to say. All right. Very nice. All right. Nicely done, both of you. I... Oh, wow, we had applause and everything. That's amazing. <laughs> I I think that uh, I think this was a good discussion. I I appreciate both of you guys' input and your preparation. Um, 
I mean, especially Niall taking us into the science class here and there, but I, I think it was good. I, I do hope to see that uh, that Niall can attend church now, that he's kind of indoctrinated his mind again. He, he'll be able to attend soccer meeting on Sunday, and I, I do hope that George doesn't leave the church after all this. I still hope that he continues to go, but that's that's just me. Is there any final thoughts you guys want to want to say? I am thankful for the prophets. <laughs> Niall, thanks for being such a great sport and working with me and um, sharing your uh, your deep love of the gospel there. I I know it. Uh, this is a challenge uh, being on the on the same line with a heretic such as myself, and you've uh, you've really uh, done a great job. So I, thank you. Yeah, I think I think Niall has definitely got a shot of being on the high council very soon. <laughs> All right, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Special thanks to Tom, George, and Niall for the Debate Podcast. Remember to check us out on the web at mormonexpression.com. You're also invited to send us an email at mail at mormonexpression.com, or you can call and leave a message at 801-906-6722. What about you, Niall? I mean, don't you think that a lot of this is just kind of irrelevant, that isn't faith and belief, just kind of an emotional thing between you and God anyways? Um, hang on, time out here. What? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I don't think I can answer that in <laughs> Okay, here's what I really think. I think that's a load of crap. You, 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 don't believe, you don't get to believe what you want to believe. You believe what exists based on the best evidence you have. All right, now I got to give you a lot of credit. You've yeah. you've hung through a lot. So awesome! I'm just very impressed. I want you. I want you all to know, though, that I don't believe a word of what I'm saying. I don't. <laughs>